the raising of Lazarus is the seventh and final ultimate sign in the Gospel of John, which is used as his structure to share the public ministry of Jesus. The seven miracles he describes as signs because he uses them to describe who Jesus is and what he is for us. The raising of Lazarus is one that um, serves as that pivotal turning point from here on out in the gospel. He'll be heading towards Jerusalem, heading towards the cross. For us to fully appreciate this scene, this grieving scene that he walks into, it's important to know some very specific Jewish rituals and rites that were part of the mourning process for the average Jew in Jesus' day. It would begin when the person heard of the death of a loved one. They would take their inner garment and rip it right over their heart, rather lengthy rip to share the tear that's in their heart, the pain that they're experiencing. They would immediately have the body taken, wrapped in a linen cloth, and placed in a tomb of some type, a vault that typically was a cave hewn out from the rock. If you look inside many of these tombs, you'd find this would be like a, a family sepulcher is what they called them. They'd have little vaults to place the different bodies. And the way it was done is when those all would be taken up, then those bones would later be gathered put into the center of that cave, sometimes buried, in order to make room for others. So that family cave or tomb could be used through many, many generations. Now, there were some very specific rites that went along with this. There was an intense period of grieving, some seven days, followed by 23 days of quiet reflection time. That seven days was a very intense period. They would usually not hardly even leave the house. They would take their shoes off. They'd go barefoot during that time of mourning. Three days after that body has passed, it had been tended to, looked after, but then women would gather. They would wash the body. They would trim the hair and nails. They'd put spices on and then wrap it in strips of linen cloth. Of course, Jesus comes on the fourth day. And so this body has now been prepared. It's the same process that the women were coming to do for Jesus when they discovered the risen Christ. There would be scripture chants while people come and tend to that family. There would be a continuous stream of well-wishers. But here's the important thing for us. To realize that that scene would not be the typical one. That they would be experiencing loud lamentations. We even have a scripture from Jeremiah 9 that describes that, that for some there were professionals, professional lamenters. They would take poems. Some of these would be spontaneous. Some of these would be carefully crafted and used for special occasions. And they would come to help that family come and share their tears to get that grief out. And that's the scene that Jesus walked into. So is a place where there was demonstration of great grief. It was also a scene of desperation. You have Martha and then later Mary come running up to Jesus. Mary falls on her knees and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever prayed to God like that? Have you ever come to God out of that desperation and wondering how, why? 
So many things happen in life that are not the way they're supposed to be, not the way God intends them to be. We, we understand that philosophical problem of good and evil, and we still struggle with why bad things happen, but sometimes it becomes really personal as it did for Martha and for Barry. I recall probably the, the most difficult funeral I ever had to do happened right after I was come on board as the chaplain for the Floyd County Sheriff's Department. I was on the job for just three days when I get a call. I was told, oh, we don't have a whole lot of stuff to do. But three days after I took the position, I was called to the hospital because one of our undercover detectives had a one-and-a-half-year-old infant who had aspirated on its bottle of milk. It was in ICU. Brain was not functioning. I remember that hospital scene very vividly because I had just had a child, my youngest daughter, Janae, just two months before. I identified with that family greatly. After two days, they determined the brain was dead. They asked me to come and share the last rites because they had a Catholic background. And then they unplugged the life support. And I watched as that monitor slowed down and stopped. It was such a hard funeral to do. So many what-ifs, so difficult to know where to place blame. The child was under the care of a babysitter, but there was really no responsibility, nothing she had neglected to do. And so all you could do is just turn their grief towards God. And that's what Martha and Mary did. If only you had been here, my brother would have still lived. But here's what I want to really focus on today. <clears throat> I want us to notice that now keep in mind, Jesus is about to heal, to bring Lazarus back from the dead. And yet, it says that he cries. Have you ever wondered about that? Why does Jesus cry when he knows there's going to be a good ending? He knows the end of the story. It's important for us to understand what Jesus did. I, I imagine it when you picture Jesus crying, you might have been somewhat influenced by our Hollywood presentations Every time you see a movie of Jesus, isn't he just kind of this otherworldly being walking around? Always so philosophical sounding. His words have a monotone to them. He seems so ethereal, so otherworldly. And so when you picture him crying, you, you, might, you might imagine a little moisture around the eyes, right? But that's not what the scripture describes. Matter of fact, if you look at the description right before it says that he cried, it says he was deeply disturbed. And if you look at the Greek in that very carefully, it suggests that a proper translation of that, a more common translation, is shuddered with sadness. In classical Greek literature, most often this verb is used to describe when a horse snorts. You know how a horse snorts and its whole body shakes? That seems to be what the writer is trying to describe, that when Jesus cried, his whole body was shuddering with grief. And then the word that follows that says troubled. Jesus uses this word again when it describes when someone's about to betray him, which we know will be Judas. He also uses the same verb when he says to his disciples in chapter 14 of John, do not be troubled as he prepares them for his departure. You bring this together and then you hear these words that Jesus began to cry, or our more traditional translations say that simply he wept. These were real tears. These were heavy tears, full of the same kind of emotion that we sometimes experience. Have you ever been with someone who is shuddering 
with sadness, whose grief is so overwhelming they cannot even control it. That seems to be what is suggested here for Jesus. Someone has written, the first miracle of the story of Lazarus is not the raising of Lazarus, is that our Lord, the Son of God, came to this earth and weeps with us. So that should inspire us to grieve appropriately, to grieve as God suggests to us we should, because there are many opportunities for that to happen. Jesus grew up in a culture in which it was prescribed by Jewish law how they were to grieve, not only so that a life would be properly honored, but that we would grieve in the way that was most helpful and healthy for us. And believe me, Lord, it gives us plenty of opportunities for that, does he not? Not just in death, but in so many other circumstances in life, we grieve. If you've been through a divorce, you know that there's a grief process in that as well. You know that sometimes you're grieving a person, a spouse that you had still loved. Or you grieve that your time with your children has now changed as you have some temporary custody. Or you grieve the change in your lifestyle or the loss of the home. We also find ourselves in grief sometimes when we go through a retirement. For those of you who have retired, did you experience some of that? If you had a job that was had a lot of responsibilities, you're kind of used to people uh, considering what you have to say important, and all of a sudden it's gone, and, and nobody seems to care about your opinion anymore. Or you have a routine that's worked for you for 30 or 40 years, and now all of a sudden that routine's changed. Or you got two people who have been used to coming and going, and now all of a sudden they're in the same house, stuck together for 24 hours a day. And you got to go to marriage counseling. There are things to grieve. And certainly as we age, we lose some of those abilities that we once had. I used to tell people that I know that I'm old when I can't play basketball anymore. I can still play basketball, but man, not very well. I'm living in denial. I can switch to tennis. If that eventually goes by the wayside, I guess I still got pickleball. But each time we move along the process and lose something that we used to be able to do, there's a process of grief. And gosh, we know how that goes. As we age and we know that it's time to get rid of that big yard and that big house and we downsize, you go through that grief as all these things you've accumulated through the years. And these legs that used to be so dependable, all of a sudden we need a little help making sure that we stay upright. And then you realize that maybe it's not so safe to drive at night anymore or, God forbid, the kids come to you and want your car keys from you. There is grief in so many places in life. So I hope that you hear well that we can face those faithfully and hopefully because we have a Lord who weeps with us and walks with us. But that's not the last word. There is always still hope. Jesus, it says, was deeply disturbed even as he walked up to the entrance of that tomb where Lazarus was. And he says, Lazarus, come out. Martha says, Lord, he's been dead four days. 
the body is going to smell. But Jesus still said, Lazarus, come out. And come out he did, still with all the cloth on his body. That was the seventh and ultimate sign of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And it's shared by him, not just for the people of his day, but for us as well, as a reminder that God has power over all things, even death itself. And so whatever situation we face, we know that there is a better outcome to come, not just in the next life, but even in this life. Just a little over two years ago, I was in worship at my last congregation. I was sitting in my chair by the pulpit, and one of the ushers handed me a note. The note said, Jennifer Downing has passed away this morning. And I look at that. Jennifer Downing was 15 years old. This, this can't be right. They certainly got the wrong name. So I slipped out during the offering. I ran to the front desk at the Welcome Center. I put up the phone. I called the family. I said, this can't be true. Yes, it is true. We would later find out that she had an undiagnosed heart defect. And they found her dead in her bed at 15 years old. Well, you can imagine what it was like for the family. It was hard for our congregation. She was one of those our most active youth. She was busy with our puppeteers. She was active in our youth group. She even was one of our liturgists on a regular basis on Sunday morning. All the congregation knew her. We were shocked. Well, it's one of those times when you start asking why and the what ifs. The time when you turn your anger and grief someplace but I'm pleased that God has been with this family. As a matter of fact, I want to share with you a writing by Jennifer's older sister, Allison. She wrote this recently on Facebook on the two-year anniversary of the passing of her sister. And this is what I wrote. This is what she wrote. Every part of me wishes this had never happened. But I would also like to share how the experience changed my life. Around the time my sister died, I was struggling to figure out what I was doing with my life. I went from journalism to education to English education to pre-med to nursing. I was really struggling in school and wasn't super happy in life. And then everything was interrupted and shifted by the death of my sister. I have never experienced anything so painful and difficult in my life. It broke down every element of who I was as a person and I had to put the pieces back together from scratch. I spent the first two weeks mourning, and then I took time off work and went off on a travel adventure. This was about three to four months of travel. It was a unique and blessed way of coping with this tragedy, to be able to invest my pain into good for others while in Reynosa, Mexico, was very healing. The beach in Florida is my happy place. Is it anybody else's happy place? I could sit and enjoy the ocean and process what had happened. I had lots of family and friends support during that time, so I came back home and began looking for new jobs. I came across one doing eligibility work for food stamps and Medicaid. To be able to have a job and help people at the same time was so exciting. Grief gives you a new level of compassion for others. 
So I went back to school for social work. Social work blossomed from there and became a big passion of mine and a huge part of who I am today. Now I'm preparing for my practicum and I'm only one year from graduation. Life is good. I reflect and am just as amazed at where I was two years ago and where I am today. For God to take such pain and turn it into something truly beautiful. And now I can look forward to a very happy life. I couldn't do that two years ago. If I could go back and tell myself what I know now, I would tell myself this. I know you're hurting and feel like you can't make it. I know you're wondering how you will even get out of bed tomorrow because life is so bad. But you will survive this. You will be happy again. It'll be hard to make yourself be social with friends and family, but make yourself do it. It will be hard to feel happiness because every second of happiness will be followed by a second of sadness. But allow yourself to feel happy anyway. And don't feel guilty about it. You will survive and you'll be happy someday. Hope those words can comfort someone who may be going through a hard time. Allison gave me the blessing to share that with you today. Matter of fact, she came to the first service today and we prayed for her and her family. God is able to take what is sometimes the most terrible things in life and he brings his grace, his blessings upon them and he makes all things new. Today, I hope you noticed the cave for our main entrance here. Our visual arts team put this together, and, and I love that they chose to put it at our exit, our main exit, because it reminds us as we go out into this world, it's offering, the world offers plenty of opportunities for us to grieve. It has its challenges for all of us. Very few of us get through life unscathed. But as we go through those doors today, may we leave with the knowledge that we have a Lord who weeps with us and a Lord who called Lazarus out to life once again.